Thank you so much for being here again. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. If you want to take your Bible, turn to John chapter 17. We've been in the middle of this series as we've been eavesdropping in on Jesus's prayer. Sandwiched somewhere in between his last supper with the disciples and his betrayal by Judas Iscariot. So as we listen in, we saw in week one from John chapter 17 that God is glorified when Jesus is glorified. And in the midst of all that glory, we receive eternal life. Week two, we saw that in this world, disciples like you and I know two things. We know God's word and we know God's name. Week three, we saw that Jesus has left this world, but he has left us his joy. So although he is gone, he has not left us unequipped or ill-equipped. He's left us his joy. And last week we saw that we are in the world, but we are not of the world because Jesus is in the world, but not of the world. We saw how we are at odds with this world because the the world is at odds with Jesus. And this week, I want to give you the main idea here in the beginning. God sanctifies us from the world in order to send us into the world. So if you wanted to write something down, that might be a good thing to write down. God sanctifies us from the world in order to send us into the world. Now, when you are eavesdropping into conversations that you've not necessarily been invited into, sometimes you hear things that you were not prepared for. Like maybe some of you uh, were eavesdropping in on a coworker's conversation and they started talking about you and you wish now that you didn't have that information, uh, but you can't scrub it from your brain. I remember when I was just a little guy, I was probably 12 years old. My PE coach was one of the assistant basketball coaches at the high school. And so one day in PE, he says to me, uh, would you like to come and sit next to me on the bench on Friday night? Now uh, here in Texas, Friday night is all about football, but in Missouri, especially the part that I grew up in, football was not that big of a deal, but basketball was. And so he wanted me to sit on the bench with him uh, during the basketball game. And I loved basketball and I really liked him a lot. And so of course I said, that would be great. So that Friday night I showed up at the high school gym and I'm in my mini coaches, uh, you know, uniform and I'm all dressed up and, and I take my place next to him on the bench. And the first half is going and um, it's really going well for the other team, really, really going well for them. And we uh, go down into the locker room at halftime and I had never been in there. You always kind of wonder what that's like. And it wasn't that fancy. They didn't even have doors on the toilet stalls. And, and so I'm down there and everybody's just kind of, you know, just getting themselves ready and, and, you know, drinking water, kind of taking a rest. And then the coach began to speak. Now I had known this coach for many years, but I had only known him in the context like, do you want to play dodgeball or do you want to play kickball today? That's pretty much my relationship with him. And uh, I heard him say some coach things that I was not prepared for. I heard him say some coach things in a uh, level of volume that I had never seen before. I saw some coach, uh, you know, uh, anger come out of him that, uh, you know, I just wasn't ready for it. At some point I thought, I don't think I'm supposed to be in here. I think probably he wanted me to, to stay up, uh, you know, there at the bench or something because I just wasn't ready to see him in, in that way. And sometimes that's what happens when you eavesdrop. You, you see things that you wish that you didn't see. You hear things that you wish that you didn't know. I feel that way a little bit about the last last two weeks as we've been listening in on Jesus's prayer. Last week we saw that he's at odds with the world because the world is at odds with him. The world and Jesus will never be in sync. 
They'll never have the same values. They'll never see eye to eye. And because we follow Jesus, we are constantly going to be in conflict and at odds with the world. And that's not something you and I are really eager to hear. What you and I want to hear is that Jesus is at odds with the world. We follow Jesus, but somehow miraculously, magically, we in the world really get along well. But that's just not the equation. The world hates Jesus. We follow Jesus. We're going to be at odds with the world. We eavesdropped last week and we, we learned that. Uh, today, as we listen in on Jesus' prayer, we see some things, that, some expectations that he has for us that are actually pretty high. And I don't know how you felt when you came to the church this morning, but I'm thinking that there's going to be some of us that are not ready to lean into these expectations. A few observations I'd love for you to write down as we get started this morning. Number one, God's purpose for your life is to sanctify and send you. God's purpose for your life is to sanctify and send you. That's what he says in verse 17. Sanctify them. Who's them? That's the disciples by the truth. Your word is truth. Now we could spend a whole sermon, we could spend multiple sermons coming around the idea that the word of God is the truth and the truth sanctifies us. But we've talked a lot about the word of God in these last few weeks, so we're going to save that for a future time. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So you see the two-sided purpose of God, to sanctify you and to send you. Last week I was having a conversation with a young guy in his mid-twenties in the access room and he was saying to me, you know, I just have never experienced God like I'm experiencing right now, just a fresh wind of revival in my life. And he said to me, I, I, what do you need to tell me so that this doesn't stop? Essentially, I want some help uh, so that this feeling that I have, this relationship with God that I have, when I open up the word, it's like God is speaking to me. When I pray, it's like he really is listening. Uh, what do I do so that that never goes away? Uh, maybe you're having the opposite experience today. That guy's got a lot of fresh wind and you are in a desert. You are in a weary land. It's dry. It's pasty. It's, it's awful and it's hard. Or maybe you're uh, you know, thinking that, um, where is God in my life right now? I wish he was close, but I don't even know where he is. And it's helpful for me to know in those seasons exactly what it is God wants for my life. When things are really going well or things are not going that well. When he seems really close or he doesn't seem close at all. You have the two-sided purpose of God right here in front of you. He wants to sanctify you in that season and he wants to send you. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 25. I want to show you what it looks like. This two-sided purpose of God. But not in people, but actually... In furniture, Exodus chapter 25, God has delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and he's taking them to the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of riches and blessing, but in between slavery and blessing is the wilderness. But God says, even though we're in this wilderness, I'm going to be with you and I want you to build this tent, this tabernacle, and I'm going to place my presence there. Of course, God is everywhere, but when the Israelites would look at this tent, this tabernacle, they could see God's presence visibly and tangibly. So he's giving them instructions in Exodus 25 of how he wants this tent built. It says in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. 
you are to take my offering from everyone whose heart stirs him to give. And that's how we want to take offerings here at Bayou City Fellowship. If your heart is stirred to give when we take the offering at the end of the service, then give. And if your heart is not stirred to give, then keep your money in your pockets. Leave your checkbook. You know what a checkbook is. You used to have to write checks. Some of you still do that. If you don't want to give online, then don't give online. Your heart needs to be stirred to give because that's what the New Testament says. You know, God wants a cheerful giver. And a cheerful giver is one who gives when their heart is stirred. Because if you don't give out of a joyful heart, you're just making a donation and not an offering. And God wants the offering, not just a donation. This is going to be a big shocker to you. God is super rich. Super rich. He doesn't want your donation. He doesn't want your charity. He wants an offering from you. He wants your whole life. And he knows that our whole life and our money are usually tied together. So he says, I'm going to take an offering of all those whose hearts are stirred to give. And listen to the things that he wants given. Verse 3. This is the offering you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Fine linen and goat hair. Ram skins dyed red and manatee skins. Acacia wood. Oil for the light. Spices for the anointing oil. And for the fragrant incense. And onyx along with other gemstones. For mounting on the ephod and breastpiece. And why are they taking up this offering of these very specific things. Verse 8, they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the design of the tabernacle as well as the design of all its furnishings. And then it goes on with these furnishings. You see in verse 10, the Ark of the Covenant. In verse 23, uh, there's a table in there. In verse uh, chapter 26, it's more about how the tabernacle is put together. Ver- uh, chapter 27, it's about uh, the, uh, uh, an altar of bronze. And, and then there's some things in the courtyard. And there's a lamp. In verse 28, it's about what the priests should wear as they minister in this place. And, and all the way through. And then you get to Exodus chapter 40. They've taken the offering. They've built all the things. Everything is ready to go. Verse 9, take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. So this is God speaking to Moses. Consecrate it along with all its furnishings so that it will be holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and all of its utensils. Consecrate the altar so that it will be especially holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Now it's going to talk about the priests. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Clothe Aaron with the holy garments. Anoint him and consecrate him so that he can serve me as a priest. Have his sons come forward and clothe them in tunics. Appoint them just as you anointed their father so that they may also serve me as priests. Their anointing will serve to inaugurate, 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 sorry, a permanent priesthood for them throughout their generations. Verse 16, And Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. Now what's interesting is there were a lot of religions at that time. There was a lot of idolatry. There were a lot of gods worshipped. And this was probably not the only location of worship. There were a lot of furniture, pieces of furniture that went along with all of these other religions. So none of these things was probably that unique. But God said, I want you to build it. I want you to build it in this way. Then I want you to anoint it. And I want you to set it apart. Because even though it's not unique in the world, it is unique because I'm connecting my name and my presence to it. So set it apart. It has a specific use that I'm giving it. 
And that's the same with us. We're just human beings, aren't we? You have a femur somewhere in there. You have some, whatever your arm bone is called. You have a liver. You maybe have an appendix or you used to have an appendix. You have a heart. You have lungs. You have a skull. you got a brain in there. Maybe depending on how smart you are, size of brain. But we're all the same. When you leave today, you're going to go to lunch and you're going to be in there. And all the things that you have that make up your body are making up their body as well. Then you're going to go to your street and all of your neighbors. We're essentially all the same. There's nothing that unique about us except for God has said about us, his people. They're my people connected to my name. So they are set apart. So we are unique people. Why? Because we're so much better. We're so much more religious, so much more well-behaved. No, because God has said, I'm connecting my name and my holiness to you. And you're set apart. But it's a two-sided purpose, Jesus said. Sanctified and sent. So just like these pieces of furniture, just like this tabernacle, just like these instruments, consecrated, but for a use. God's purpose for your life is to sanctify and send you. Number two, sending without sanctification is worldliness. Sending without sanctification is worldliness. You know, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. You know, a lot of us, we just like to cut and paste our behavior. Because God has a lot of will A lot of commands. Some of those commands really come easy to you. And some of them come hard to you. And so what we do is we like to cut and paste. We take the ones that are easy to us and we prioritize them. We make them count for more than the ones that are hard for us. Like take for example, I doubt any of you really struggled with whether or not to murder somebody this week. Maybe you said on 290 traffic, so who knows. But I'm, I'm guessing that that wasn't a big struggle for you. You didn't wake up in the morning and say, God, just give me the strength to not murder anybody today. If you uh, do struggle with that, uh, we need you to say that out loud. Uh, so not right now, because that would be awkward. But later on, at a more appropriate moment. But that's an easy, uh, easy thing for most of us to do. It's not a real struggle. And so we prioritize that. And we, we say, well, I'm, I'm, I, I don't do that. But then you take something that's hard for us, like gossip. That's hard. doesn't come easy to resist that. So we cut and paste. We make that count for very little in the expectation for how we live our lives. Even when we admit that we do it, how, how do we do it? We just downplay it. Well, I probably shouldn't have said that. I mean, would you say that? I probably shouldn't have murdered that guy. <laughs> probably shouldn't have punched that guy in the face. No. You feel bad. You feel awful. You feel guilty. But since we cut and paste our sanctification, we just choose the ones that come easy to us and make them count more. But listen, the ones that come easy to you may come hard to the person sitting next to you. The ones that come easy to them may be the ones that are hard for you. And that's how we end up judging one another because we look at other people and go, I can't believe they do that. I can't believe they struggle with that. I would never struggle with something like that. I would never have to fight. But sending without sanctification is just worldliness. So you can't do the work of Jesus without the way of Jesus. But a lot of people want to do it. A lot of people, they want to love, they want to serve, and they want to help. 
But in order to do the ministry of Jesus, you have to take on the lordship of Jesus. Listen, your testimony, your ministry without sanctification is actually going to be pretty hollow. I remember one time I was talking with a couple of my friends and one of them was of a different religion and we started talking about things of faith and at one point he became pretty interested in what it meant to be a Christian and about the scripture and about Christ and the cross and resurrection and so you know, just a wide open door. And so, so I took the opportunity to really just share the gospel with them and tell them this is kind of everything that I thought and, and do it in a, as in a persuasive way as I possibly could. And, and one of our other friends that was kind of listening in on the conversation, he started trying to help me out. You ever, you ever have somebody who, who wanted to help you out, but their help actually made everything worse? You know, that was this guy because we all knew how he lived his life and the way he lived his life based on not how we observed, but the things that he would tell us uh, were not anything according to the way of Christ. And, and so, you know, I'm trying to give him, give him the eye, like, stop talking. I don't know what's the matter with you. Please stop talking. You're, you're, you're ruining this. Like this guy is close to the kingdom and you're dragging him away based on how you, how, how you live. Because what if uh, we went out to people and we said, hey, you have to believe in Jesus. And then they looked at our lives and they say, well, why are you getting me to do this big thing when if I become like you, then I'm really just end up being like me the way that I am right now. See, without sanctification, that would be our message. Come and believe in Jesus so that you can be like me. But I'm already like you, so you don't have to do anything. It takes the teeth out of what could be for you a very powerful testimony. Your sanctification is your uniqueness in this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 may be familiar to you, says this, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Now look at this, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, or your version of the Bible may say, uh, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. So you were made in the image of God. The world is trying to remake you in its own image. You are being conformed right now to a pattern. You are under the influence of something. You're either being conformed to the pattern of Jesus, the Son of God, sanctification, or you're being conformed to the pattern of this world. And the world will figure out a way to put all kinds of pressure on you to conform to its pattern. Uh, last week at our other campus, I, I talked a little bit about uh, the Supreme Court's decision last Friday to offer marriage licenses up to essentially anybody, no matter what their sexual preference or orientation uh, is. And, and I'm not going to rehash all that. I just encourage you to get online uh, to our podcast and listen to it. Uh, I said it about as clear and concise as I possibly can, and I would only probably make it worse uh, by trying to do it again. But uh, I would love for you to get in on listening to that. But maybe some of you felt the way that I felt. Uh, last uh, week, which is it just was a pressure point for us to either conform or be pushed to the side. And that's what the world was doing, telling us to, to get into the pattern or get out. Because the world wants you to be reshaped in its own image. But if we just want the ministry of Jesus without the sanctification, 
will get out into the world, will be sent out into the world with nothing to say other than keep doing what you're doing because I guess I'm just like you. The third observation for you this morning, sanctification without sending is self-righteousness. Sanctification without the sending is self-righteousness. Matthew chapter 12. Moving from there, verse 9, he, that's Jesus, entered their synagogue and he saw a man who had paralyzed, uh, who had a paralyzed hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But he said to them, what man among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A man is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So these Pharisees and chief priests, they're they're setting a trap for Jesus. Now, the Pharisees are the very definition of the word sanctimonious. All the sanctity without any of the heart that should come along with that sanctification. In fact, Jesus said to them in one chapter later on in Matthew, he's just saying, woe, 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 woe to them. And one of the woes is, woe to you Pharisees and scribes, you teachers of the law, because you tithe. And then he goes on this this long list of all the things that they tithe. They give 10% of their spices and their other things. And he said, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like mercy and justice, meaning they had all the sanctity, but they didn't have a heart for people. And all that does is it leads to self-righteousness. And look what happens when we have self-righteousness like the Pharisees. We end up uh, treating people and seeing people as something less than human. Jesus uses the illustration of a sheep and he says to them, Listen, you see this man with a paralyzed hand and you don't want me to help him. But if any of you had a sheep that fell into a hole on the Sabbath day, you'd go and pick it up. And that was their big thing. There was no work to be done on the Sabbath. There was no to-do list. You were just supposed to honor God by doing nothing. And, And Jesus said, you would do more for a sheep than you want done for this man. Because self-righteousness causes us to see people as less than human. That's how racism and elitism and other isms can exist among spiritual people. Because of self-righteousness. We see people as less than human. We think of ourselves as superior. I'm the greatest. I'm the best. I'm advanced. I'm better. And we see other people as less than because any kind of ism, racism, elitism, it can't survive in an atmosphere of humility. It can't survive when people go, I'm gonna go as low as possible. I'm gonna serve as many people as possible. Self-righteousness causes us to see people as less than human. And sanctification without sending makes us want to trap people in order to expose their weaknesses. Look what they're trying to do to Jesus in order that they might accuse him. They want to show Jesus that, they want to show people that Jesus is a fraud, that he's a lawbreaker. And that's what self-righteousness does. It, 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 It causes us to desire that other people's weaknesses be exposed. 
And so we lay the groundwork. Why do we want other people's weaknesses to be exposed? Because when their weaknesses and their faults and their limitations are seen in the light of day, then everybody turns to us. They look at them and then they look at us and we feel built up. Oh, they're terrible. They're awful. They're weak. But there is a picture of strength over there. That's just the sanctification without the sending. But God does not set anything apart that he does not use for redemption. I mean, even the Sabbath, what does Jesus say? That Sabbath, that one day a week that's set aside, what is it good for? It's good for doing good. Even the Sabbath was meant to benefit mankind. So uh, we talked about all the, those instruments and all those uh, pieces of furniture in that tabernacle in the Old Testament. I actually brought a picture of uh, the, the tabernacle. Um, uh, you can see it up here. Uh, so this tent was built in this big courtyard and God's people camped all the way around it. So you can imagine this massive uh, courtyard with this massive tent in the middle and all the 12 tribes of Israel all camped out on, the other, uh, on all sides of it. And so you come into the gate and the first thing that you see at the gate is a bronze altar of sacrifice and that's where the animals would be sacrificed. And then you move a little bit further and there's this bronze basin. It was a place where they could do ceremonial cleansing and, uh, and then you would go a little bit further into actual the tabernacle, the tent itself. And over to the right is a table and on that table was bread that was constantly there before God and the priest would change out the bread regularly uh, pointing to the fact that Jesus is our bread of life uh, and we even celebrate that today through communion. On the left side, you see over there is a lampstand, and that lampstand was always lit, was always lit, and it never went out, representing that the presence of God was always with his people. There was never a time when he wasn't home. Some of you right now think God is not home. I'm knocking on the door, I'm ringing on the doorbell, I'm banging on the windows, and he is not on home. But this tells us that the light is always on, Sometimes we just can't see it. You go further, there's an altar of incense, this fragrant aroma coming up before God, representing the prayers of the people. Then there was a curtain, and inside that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. They called that the Holy of Holies. You were only allowed to go in there once a year, and people like you and I, common people, we would never be able to go in there. Just one priest, once a year, because in there, that was the throne of God. On top of the Ark of the Covenant was this lid, and this lid had these giant gold angels with their wings spread out. They called it the mercy seat because it was only by God's mercy that he would come and dwell among men. So I'm doing this Bible study in the spring. It's teaching me all of these things, and it's amazing. Um, I don't really want to share the name of the Bible study with you because it was a women's Bible study. But... Uh, that's why I wore boots today, just to kind of balance out the macho equation. So I'm going to tell you, the Bible says it's called a woman's heart, God's dwelling place. And if, you know, so I just scribbled it out and I was like, a man's heart, God's dwelling place. So I'm doing this Bible study and the author, just this brilliant woman of God is showing me a picture like this. And in it, it says, draw a line here and draw a line here. And I did. And it was like my mind exploded. Because you can see the cross. Imagine God saying to his people, I want you to build me this temporary house. I'm going to put my presence there. But as he looked down from heaven on this tent, what could he see? He could see the cross. Thousands of years before Jesus would be born, 
of a virgin. The cross was already in place. And all of these pieces that would form that cross, sanctified and set apart. Why? For the redemption of mankind. So that you and I, normal, average people, nothing unique about you that's different than anybody else could come into the presence of God. That's what the cross is, is it's permission, it's cleansing, it's sacrifice for us to come near to God. And, and it wasn't the Israelites who put this furniture in the right place. It wasn't like Moses said, hey, who among us is an interior decorator? We've got this table and we've got this, this uh, you know, altar and we've got this other altar and we've got this lampstand. Where do you think it should go? I know you went to school for that. Where do you think? What do you think should do? How do you think it would match? No, God said in his word, I want you to build this and I want you to build it this way and I want you to put it right here, right here in this place. See, that's why you and I want to be sanctified as we're being sent because it's your sanctification that will put you in the right place so you are most effective as you are sent. Some of us are like, I got a heart to serve. I want to love people. I want to make the world a better place. I want to talk about Jesus, but I just can't. I just not have any opportunities. Maybe you and I, our lack of sanctification is putting us in the wrong place. It's your sanctification that is the platform that God will put you on. Before you speak his name, he doesn't want you to share a hollow testimony. It's your sanctification. It's the fact that you are set apart. Coming underneath his will and his way that puts you in the right place at the right time with the right people for the redemption of people just like us. Notice in verse 19 of John 17. Jesus says, I sanctify myself for them, for the disciples, so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I set myself apart. I consecrate myself for what is ahead and and just in minutes or hours, a mob is going to come with lanterns torches, clubs, and swords. They're going to come into the Garden of Gethsemane and say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he's going to fight back. He's going to run and hide. No, he's going to say, I am he. And he goes with him. And he stands there, the son of God, commander of angel armies and lets himself be falsely accused falsely convicted beaten and crucified as a part of his consecration for who? for them for us, for you that's the gospel The gospel is, is that before the foundation of the world, there was a cross. And in the Old Testament, there was a cross pointing to that hill outside of Jerusalem where Jesus set himself apart so that your sins could be forgiven and you could come near to God. So maybe you're here this morning and you thought, well, I think, well, I thought being a Christian was just about being better. Just about being me, but being a little bit better. 
It's not what it's about. It's about you just the way you are, being near God because of Christ. If you realize today, I don't have that. I've got some form of religion. I've got some form of my mother's spiritual belief, or I got some form of form of uh, church obligation, but I don't have that. And in just a second, other people are going to come forward to pray for a lot of different reasons. But as they come forward to pray, I'd love for you to head over to our access room, which is to my right and my left. And people aren't even going to see you go over there because all eyes will kind of be over here. And, and you can leave today knowing that you, your sins have been forgiven and you can come into the presence of God because of the sacrifice and cross of Jesus. Because Jesus has sanctified himself so that we could be sanctified, but not just sanctified, sanctified and sent. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your plan has been since the beginning of the age grateful even that sin didn't take you by surprise but you had already set everything in motion thank you for just a powerful picture in the old testament that even when you dwelt among men in that day you didn't do it without a cross and so jesus we just received just everything that the cross has bought for us today forgiveness of sins we receive it nearness to god we receive it promise of a future we receive it we want to be sanctified by it we want it to be our message as you send us into the world so we ask these things in the powerful name of jesus